Hey everybody, Adam here and welcome back to Going Through Nehemiah. We find ourselves today in chapter 5 and uh, and I'm excited to continue to dive deeper in with you guys. So where do we find ourselves in the story? Well, Nehemiah, he receives this word that the city of God and the people of God are in desolation and in ruin. And for some reason, though this message has been consistent for 140 years, it strikes a different chord in his heart. And he prays, he weeps for months, and he then makes a big ask of the king of Babylon, who's a ruthless man who is holding God's people in slavery and in exile. So basically, God's people are under foreign rulers. They are around and in a culture that is worshiping foreign gods. Uh, Nehemiah uh, makes a huge ask of the king to use the king's finances, to use his servants and military to uh, move a bunch of resources from his personal forest uh, like the wood, timber, and, uh, and and finance him, taking a 12-year vacation so that he can leave the king's service as his most um, uh, prized cupbearer, literally the person he has to trust with his life. This is the king's life. And uh, to go and to rebuild the city, which uh, the people of Babylon destroyed, to, um, to create a place where the king's slaves and the, the slaves of his people could go to then thrive, rebuild an economy, rebuild the city, um, to worship uh, the God that they had tried to thwart um, a couple hundred years previous. And so it, he makes this big ask. And for some reason, because he's ready and he's anointed, the king says yes. And so he goes to the city. They start rebuilding. And then... Um, Enemies come and they try to kill and stop the effort. They cause an uproar. It is uh, annoying at at best and uh, and murderous at worst. And so um, today we find ourselves in a situation where they um, have been doing the work for a while. They are you know they've been standing with sword and trowel. They've been doing the work and protecting themselves against the oncoming oppression. Um, and, uh, and we find ourselves in a situation where the poor now are being neglected, that God's own people through all this and trying to take care of themselves and do some good work are in a place where there has been oppression from the poor. Okay. <clears throat> and so, um, think about it like this, right? Uh, they're, they've gone through a, a time where there's been government overreach, economic downturn, uh, there's been the the general cultural milieu is turned against them. Um, they have enemies leading a coup, trying to control them and decide what they can and cannot do. Um, and in the midst of it all, they need to figure out how to take care of each other, right? Because the government's not doing it. Their enemies certainly won't do it. And they, God's people have to do it together, right? They need to be friends, friends, like I said uh, a few weeks ago, in the work, friends in the mission, um, friends in faith. But now they have to be friends in justice and making sure that, uh, that all of God's people are taken care of together as family as God requires, okay? The government isn't going to do it for them. They need to learn how to do it for each other. Okay. And they weren't doing it. 
They weren't doing it in Nehemiah chapter 5. Okay, and here's what we need to remember, right? How we treat each other is integral for maintaining unity in the body of Christ. How we treat each other is integral for maintaining unity in the body of Christ because this is all about relationship. It's all about relationship. This isn't about, um, you know, organizational preferences or what I want or what, what you want or, you know, how can we do whatever, you know, I want to do this or I want to do that. This is, this is all about relationship. And what are we willing to sacrifice and bend on in order to make relationship work together? And today it's they need to be friends to see justice uh, come around. Because uh, since they were doing this themselves, t- trying to figure out how to take care of themselves um, together, right? They're, it ends up that their finances get intertwined, right? Like our personal lives, our social lives, they all get intertwined, okay? And the cultural setting, as you could uh, probably relate to, is not that dissimilar to where we're at right now, right? Like economic uncertainty, the culture is certainly... Um, beyond apathetic, more against, certainly against uh, Christian culture, Um, government overreach, uh, massive um, government spending that looks like it'll take care of you, but doesn't really seem like it's working at the end of the day. And uh, and so what are we going to do? And we got to figure out how to maintain unity and take care of one another to navigate through this. Okay. Um, And what you'll see and this is certainly an example here, is that oftentimes the threats to that unity come from inside rather than outside, right? They come from inside the church rather than outside the church, especially in a circumstance when our whole deal is relationship, relationship, not organization. Remember, the people of God are called a family, a household, right? Ambassadors, right? These are all Um, sons and daughters. These are all relational terms that we use to describe who we are. And let me posit to you this, that it takes relationship equity in order to build into the future and correct injustice to see massive dividends paid in that arena, right? It takes relationship equity in order to build into the future and cash in dividends on uh, justice, right? To see justice come about. And so people need to be reconciled to each other, to each other in order to see true justice come to pass. And oftentimes we, we we don't care about that part, right? We don't care about the relationship side of things. We just care about, well, this person lost that amount of money and so this person needs to be paid for in that X amount of dollars and everything needs to be fair in economic terms. Um, but not relationship terms, right? And so, um, but I want to posit to you today that in order for true justice to come, we need to be willing to make the sacrifices necessary to do the relationship work and to do the relationship investment, right? It's no mistake that oftentimes um, rich people have a lot of relationships that they can leverage, Right? And it's oftentimes in our, in our greatest seasons of isolation that we are at our poorest, that we are at our poorest, okay? And so start making investments now. I remember Emily and I, um, we, 
this is maybe year five of the journey of Trinity Life Church. And so uh, we just sent home one of our founding pastors. There was some leadership uh, um, turmoil in the midst of that. Um, I We had just had our first child. Uh, my mother had just passed away. And my grieving father was living in our little apartment with us um, through that. Uh, all that happening at the same time. It was probably the most isolated lonely, uh, burdened that we had ever felt um, in our course of life and ministry up until that point. And um, we did our grieving and we did our the necessary amount of work to just shoulder the burden and move forward despite what was coming at us. And we were faithful. We didn't drop the ball on anything. We didn't, you know, say no to a bunch of stuff. We kept going. We shouldered the burden. We carried it. We grieved. We mourned. But at a certain point, our pathway into our next season demanded that we make investment in relationship. And I know that that when life is at its hardest, that seems to be like the last thing we want to hear is that we have to do something, right? But because Jesus, because of Jesus, because he did something for us and he gives us the gift of salvation, you're not producing your own salvation, but you're just making kingdom investments that will pay dividends and carry you into a whole new season. And there will be times where you've made enough relational deposits that you can cash those in in really hard seasons. But sometimes in extended hard seasons, you will need to to climb out. If you haven't made enough relational equity to climb out of it, you will need to invest. And you will need to continue to invest faithfully and make steps towards people in relationship to see yourself out of the hole that you've put yourself in. Um, There is a a kind of political ideology called Marxism, right? And this is the introduction of the idea that there there is um, the evil rich and the, 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 the good poor, right? And this is kind of the Robin Hood stories we all love, right? Like rob from the rich, give to the poor. And we love that kind of adventure story. My favorite is the Kevin Costner um, version of Robin Hood. It is by far the best Robin Hood that's ever come out. Um, A little bit intense, watched it a long time ago before I knew Jesus. So, you know, if you're not into uh, really intense rated R movies, then, you know, Feel free to pass on that one. Um, but we love that narrative, right? We love that that the rich are being taken from and the poor are being given to um, because the rich are evil and oppressive and the poor are inherently good and needy. And so what a perfect narrative to throw out there. Um, the problem with this, this narrative is that it, it it's it's by nature an atheistic narrative, right? Like Karl Marx was not he did not believe in God. Okay. So it's by nature an atheistic narrative. It doesn't believe, uh, it doesn't believe anyone has sin, right? It doesn't take into account sin. And that sometimes our suffering is a result of our bad behavior, right? The fact that I have no money is because I spent it all on, you know, uh, uh, lucky logger and going to Niagara Falls Casino, right? It's, it doesn't take into account um, that that 
that human sin has affected creation. And so the part of the curse is for the man that when they work the ground, they'll be full of thorns and thistles. And what does that mean? I take that to mean that it's really hard. It's really hard to build anything. It's really hard to keep things going. It's really hard to maintain uh, uh, anything. You want to start a small business. You want to start to make some investments. You want to uh, build relationships. It's just really hard. Because human sin keeps breaking everything. It's just in it's just in the fabric of creation right now that it's not supposed to be easy for us, right? Um, and so Marx introduces the idea that there's the, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, and they are in opposition to each other. And so rich people must be uh, crooked, and the poor people must be good. And so we must, by force, take from one to give to the other and... Uh, and therefore, the goal of the government is to facilitate this transaction, okay? It's essentially saying that the government is the salvation to all the good, poor people, right? I know I'm simplifying a little bit, but the Christian narrative says this, that no, there is a God. That God cares about how we steward our life, our finances, the decisions that we make, how we relate to each other, um, and and that how we relate to each other, uh, both individually in small groups and in large groups, is the path forward uh, to solving many of the justice problems that we see, right? Um, and oftentimes, these things take godly leadership to solve, not political leadership, okay? And the main narrative in the scriptures is often the godly versus the ungodly, it's not the rich versus the poor, right? And when our main societal narrative becomes the rich versus the poor, there's just massive upheaval, turmoil, um, insecurity, restlessness, um, bickering uh, versus trying to move towards some sort of godly, uh, Jesus-centered worldview and relationship together, okay? <clears throat> and so when we say godly versus ungodly, that ultimately this means we're talking about Jesus versus everybody else because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And if you're not a new Christian, I know it's, it's, it's tough to wrap our heads around and say, yeah, yeah, well, what are, you, what are you really talking about here, right? And the idea is that Jesus, by his own effort alone, accomplished the good life, right? That that we wake up every day and say, yeah, I'm a good person. It's like he's the only one who's ever been able to do that and say that and not be a liar, right? <clears throat> and he even, someone says it about him, oh, good teacher. Say, like, hey, why do you call me good, right? Only God is good, you know? <clears throat> and so it's Jesus versus everyone else. He lived a perfect life without sin, right? <clears throat> he got, he even got angry at injustice, right? And what was it in that case? It was, um, he even, he came into the temple whipping people and overturning tables. And what was he mad at, right? He was mad at the ungodliness in the name of being godly, was taking advantage of and oppressing people who just wanted access to worship. And ultimately, we know this 
to be true because Jesus ultimately gives himself up as a ransom for many. You know, the passage that's defining our whole year, John 15, Jesus gave his life up for his friends, right? And not because like, oh, I'm so buddy-buddy with Jesus. It's like, no, no, he actually took his enemies, those who opposed him, you know, even his closest disciples, Peter who denied him and, um, you know, Judas who betrayed him and, uh, and, and he made his enemies into his friends through his death on the cross, which is amazing. So that the ungodly could become godly. And that's just beautiful. Uh, at this point, and I certainly thought this for the longest time, you, we may say, okay, well, yeah, well, okay. Well, I'm godly and I'm poor. Because generally, if you're a young person, and I was in this way in my early 20s, like, I'm a good person, and um, and but I'm poor, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm working my job. I'm, I'm, you know, starting to get, uh, my foot in the door, but, uh, but times are tough. And, you know, me and my, me and my buddy, we used to, um, I lived in a one bedroom apartment with a foster kid. We shared the one bedroom and we were so poor. Uh, my first full-time salary job was $16,000 a year is my salary. So get a, get a, get a, get to see if you can get your mind around that. Um, and we would, we would, we love chips and salsa, right? And so what we do is we buy the, what is it? Like a, the one liter jar of salsa, you know, and we'd empty it and we'd eat it and have a great time. And then we'd take it and we'd turn it upside down and leave it on our counter. And we'd stack up about 20 of these, um, just so that we could have one more bowl of salsa. And so all the salsa would drip down the side of the glass and into the lid. And, and then at the end, when once we had 20 stacked up, we'd take it and we'd dump the lid into the bowl so we could have one more jar of salsa, right? Um, you say, okay, so see, look, I'm poor and I'm, I'm godly because I'm a good person. Look at me, right? And that wasn't the case for me. My entire life changed when I realized, oh, no, I'm not godly. I'm not a good person. I'm not as happy as I want to be. I don't treat people as nice as I want to. I'm not a godly person, right? God is godly, and I need God to change my heart and my mind so that I can start treating other people um, as I should be, like God does, right? And I can actually live a life where I give myself up for their sake, I can sacrifice myself to make enemies into friends, right? Um, So I wasn't godly and nor was I poor. You want to know how I knew that? I had a cell phone and I had a toilet, okay? And so you're probably similar and you can send out your royal decrees to anywhere in the world on a throne. That's how you know that you are not poor, you can send out your royal decrees, your, your, uh, your royal tweets or the royal Facebook posts or the royal grams to the whole world and let everyone know who you are and what you want <clears throat> from a porcelain throne. Spent a lot of time on a porcelain throne, especially after a late night of partying way before Jesus, people. Not good, godly, uh, or poor. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, and so what's happening in this story? Believers are taking advantage of the economic situation. Okay. What is the economic situation? Well, let's just start reading the scripture or else we'll never get into it. Right? So now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Um, for there were those who said, so here we go. What are they saying? 
This is the outcry. With our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were those who also said, so some were just like, ah, we just don't have enough to eat. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, so it's like, ah, we even have to take out debt just to make it work, you know? And there were those who said, we've borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Um, Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved, um, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. So they're renting property, they're trying their best to pay the oppressive taxes, um, they're having to leverage their, what little they do have, including their own family members in order to service their debts and and actually eat something so that they continue can continue to sacrifice and do the work of rebuilding the city and rebuilding the walls okay and in this case um, believers are taking advantage of this economic environment right and so what probably happened was there's this massive economic desolation and so they print a bunch of money to stimulate economic activity and what that means is you know you help out the poorest and so they have a little bit of dignity in the short term um, but where does that money always end up it ends up in the with the people who are producing assets and who own the assets right <clears throat> and so that money filters up to the landowners Okay, who can leverage their assets to to service whatever taxes or debt they have tax free, right? So they avoid any of the oppressive taxes. So you leverage out at low interest rates um, in poor economic downturns when economic stimulus is pouring into the economy. Okay, you can take advantage of renters who have to pay the rent because they want a house and they want something to eat, um, where the Uh, The owners of assets can defer their mortgage payments because the government is trying to uh, uh, not create an economic, total economic crisis, okay? And then uh, there's a signal that because of the extended famine, which happens here, uh, you're going to say publicly, interest rates are going to stay low for a very long time, right? So that we can get through this and we'll get through this together, right? And when enough people have taken on risk, posted their collateral of the little they do have, just so they could eat, you change the rules and you say, because you understand contracts, you understand, uh, you know, the language of finance and you understand how money works and you understand how economics and all that kind of stuff, right? And so just at that point, you increase taxes to service the debt, you allow inflation to run rampant, um, and you turn off the economic stimulus, so you stop taking care of the poor, you destroy the economy, they're leveraged out so that the very little they have is on risk and on loan, okay? And so these households who were good stewards trying to sacrifice for God's kingdom, they were caught in this. They were caught between continuing kingdom work or eating and keeping the family together, Okay, And for those who had posted up their children or their house, any property they may have had, they had to foreclose. And now God's people are slaves to their own people. So what did I just do there? I just outlined exactly what we've been through 
in the country of Canada. That's the economic situation we're in. And it's the basically exact same economic situation that they're in here, right? This is how these things happen. Except instead of a, a, a government that doesn't really care about you doing it, it's your own brothers and sisters doing it, right? We can understand that the government would do this, right? And I don't care where we lean politically, right? It's not about that. It's just that that's what happened. That's what's happened for the last four years. And it's caused massive stress, massive stress on relationships. We know we're the most polarized time we've ever been in, okay? <clears throat> but this is, we understand the government would do that, but this is God's own people doing it to each other. They're extorting each other instead of building towards promise and hope and thriving for all. See, the people who had much could have chosen to be generous and sacrifice and to push forward the needs of the oppressed, which is all over the Old Testament scriptures, okay? And and forward, it's it's a big part of the prophetic message, message that's, that's abundant at this time when the people are in exile. It's a big part of um, the setting of the foundation of the culture and law of God's people, okay? Um, it's a massive injustice, and it has to be righted, and they're only going to be able to write it together. Galatians 6.10 is a good verse for us because it's a massive violation of Galatians 6.10. This is a New Testament verse that today we can look to for guidance, right? And it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So stay faithful. You don't need to take advantage of one another. You don't need to give up on one another. You don't need to turn away from one another. You don't need to break covenant with one another. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Right? Because they will know that you are my disciples by the, your love for one another. Okay? We should be able to look inside the church and see the beauty of the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. That one would be willing to give himself up so that enemies could be made friends. Okay, So what's the pathway forward? So this is in verse 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. What do they have to say about this charge? So get everyone together. Let's put it all on the table and let's deal with this. What's going on, guys? And they were silent and could not find a word to say. Wow, yeah, I did just give up on my brother. I did just break covenant. I did just abandon people in their time of need when stuff got hard. I did just demand my own preferences. I did let my pride get in the way. And when I had the opportunity, I extorted them. I got nothing to say. So I said, this is Nehemiah, the thing that you are doing is not good. Guys, sometimes we just have to call sin what it is. 
Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? Like, guys, we're supposed to be a light to the nations. We're supposed to be a blessing to the nations. What's going on here? Moreover, I and my brothers and I, my servants, are lending them money and grain. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a part of this. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will. So this is their response. So first off, okay. First, what's required? Repentance, okay? There's been a pattern of behavior that is uh, ungodly that's been going on for a long period of time, okay? You cannot just ignore it and go back to thinking that everything's going to be okay. The only way through it and the only way for things to change is repentance and acknowledgement of the sin. Nehemiah says, I did it too. And then make it right. Restitution. Restitution. Give it back. Fix the problem. Let's see it made right. Let's restore dignity to our own brothers. Then we said, so here's the response. We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the field, the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. When, and the people did as they had promised. All right. So here is corporate repentance, corporate restitution, and then corporate commitment to shared vision to move forward. Okay. And so I would like to ask you that if we, if we, if, if we are going to see a model for the future church emerge in North America together, we're going to have to make some sacrifice. And We're going to have to get through a hard season, which will take further sacrifice. Because, guys, we're going from broken and battered, and we need to come together, figure out how to build relationship with one another so that we can start building. And we're going to have to right some wrongs together. We're going to have to take responsibility. We're going to have to make it right. And I'm with you in that. I'm with you in that. And so I hope that you're with us in that too. Jesus loved the world in this way. He is willing to lay his life down as a ransom for many so they may receive eternal life. And that's the name of our church, Trinity Life. That here, if we want to figure out how to do life together here, is that we would all experience 
Trinity life, sacrificial life, abundant life together. And so let's turn to Jesus, sing to Jesus, pray to Jesus, and ask Jesus to change our heart, to set us on the right trajectory, to sacrifice through the hard times and make it right when we've done wrong. And I'll leave us with that. I hope that you guys can unpack this further in your R3s. I hope that you guys have a good, godly, blessed time unpacking these things. I hope that we can change the narrative um, from rich versus poor to godly versus ungodly. Declare our need for Jesus together as a community and see some really beautiful things emerge in the future to change the culture of the church, um, both here just at Trinity Life but also the church in Toronto and the church in the world. So I'm excited to see what happens, guys. I hope this is good for you. I'm blessing your time together in Jesus' mighty name, and we'll see you soon.